0: Welcome to the Edelheidight Experience, a compelling conversation about revolutionizing health and well-being, bringing you rich stories and lessons learned from leading corporate executives. Now we'd like to introduce your host, Jonathan
1: Edelheid.
0: Welcome to the Edelheidight Experience. This is Jonathan Edelhiight. I've got Bruce Daisley with me today. Bruce, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm incredibly grateful. So you have written multiple books, Eat, Sleep, Work, and The Joy of Work, which really, to me, resonates. It would be great if you can kind of share with our audience a little bit about your background.
1: Yeah, I'm a long-term tech exec. So I worked at Google pretty much when they, uh, they bought YouTube. I worked on YouTube from, from that start position. And then after working there for a few years, I went to work at Twitter. Fantastic to join a business right at the start. There was about 400 people when I joined Twitter. And um, and so we set about really trying to create a culture that would be an energizing and productive place to work, certainly for the, the uh, European office. So I worked there for a long time. I have to say that my objective of creating a good culture was partially successful. And it was the problems that I encountered in the downtimes that really led to me first starting a podcast and then creating, putting a book together. And the book is largely the same book adapted. So, so one's a, a more European version, one's a more US version. There's, there are slightly different things, but I would, the, the Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat one is probably the best one to pick up if anyone's interested but I also do a newsletter if you don't want to spend money. And yeah, I've just got a fascination with workplace culture, which is specifically, I think, a fascination with understanding how much of motivation is incremental. How much of us feeling like we can do extra work with more enthusiasm comes from motivations and desires within us. There's big discussions on this right now, but I think for me, that's always been the, the fascination. If we are enjoying our jobs, do we inevitably work harder at them?
0: Well, I, I mean, I feel that answer would be somewhat obvious, but the, the, the question I have for you is: you know, we've been, I feel, crushed personally and professionally, a lot of us, the last two years with the pandemic. You know, why is, you know, f- do you feel that finding joy and company culture is more important
1: now than ever? you know, there's a really interesting discussion on this. And and typically, I would have regarded any sense that this was not the case as maybe a touch more European. It sort of has with with a almost social democratic, a socialist bent to it. But there was a book that came out in December by Charlie Wazell and Anne Helen Peterson, which really created quite a dystopian idea of work. It was called Out of Office. And it was effectively a treatment about remote working and what it says for us. And the two authors got an immense amount of, of attention if someone listens to podcasts as they're, as they're listening to this. Almost certainly, the, the two of them will have appeared in your podcast feed in the in the last month. But what they specifically talk about, they talk about how increasingly workers shouldn't feel the need to talk to colleagues, shouldn't feel the need to engage socially with colleagues. They should feel that merely that they're getting on with their job and they're not being Troubled with some of the niceties of having to to be part of a workplace culture, and while to to the authors they paint that as a more transactional and a more healthy way to to our jobs, for me it seems far more dystopian than than they paint it. It seems to be like the idea that you turn up a workplace, whether a virtual workplace or a a a real workplace, and you don't talk to colleagues is somehow healthier than having a good relationship with them. For me, it just has such an inverted idea of work. So, you know, but it's an illustration that some of these debates and these discussions that really really have been quite niche until now are becoming more, I think, central to the way that we think about work and have discussions on it.
0: That's very interesting because to me, what you just described, I feel sounds terrible in almost, wouldn't that be like zero culture? Like if everybody just kind of punched in and never communicated with each other, you can't really create
1: a culture, can you? Well, I think the the way that they paint it is that they feel that anything that tries to forge a culture is in some way exploitative. So they suggest that the reason why you might try to create a culture is to get some incremental work out of people that you're not paying for. And so it's, it's this quite conspiratorial notion of, of capitalism, the idea that somehow everything incremental, your boss should pay for or you shouldn't give it to them. But really, anyone who's had a job and anyone who's enjoyed the fraternity, the sorority of laughing with colleagues well know quite often that's the thing that makes the job worthwhile. And it's not about giving free effort to your employer, but more about passing our jobs in a more agreeable way. Anyway, I find the whole idea of of their framing of it and the attention it's got so strange to observe look you know broadly from my perspective the the enjoyment we get from our jobs isn't some free thing that we're gifting to our employers but rather more just a way that we can make what is by by necessity to, to the majority of us we can make something that we need to do to earn money into something that doesn't feel like it's stealing 40 hours from us but rather is at least playing an enriching part in our life. And, you know, there's a lot of truth in that. People without jobs generally have worse health than people with jobs. Uh, People without jobs generally suffer worse health outcomes and and life outcomes than people with jobs. So uh, this idea that somehow work is a a form of slavery, which is truly um, what the extrapolation of their argument seems to be, I feel it's just misguided. It feels it feels like a sort of college project that got out of hand. But you know, it's it's, a, it's been so heavily covered in the media in the last month that you know, to some extent, they they've obviously earned some attention for that argument.
0: I would agree with you on on your sentiments with it because I feel that when you you know, I think you're using the word joy is is really just a great term for it. In your in your books is that you know when I have colleagues that I work with you know who bring me joy in working with them I feel like they make me better uh, you know of a on the professional side um, and help me actually achieve more and do better work and work harder you know and on the personal side there's joy too in that camaraderie you know with working with a great team and then I you know you see the other side of working with you know other colleagues who you know, they're there, you know, just to kind of punch the clock and do their job. And there's nothing wrong with that, but, you know, don't don't have any interest in camaraderie or, or teamwork. And there's, you know, a very clear line on the, there's an energy that comes from that, which I feel creates that, that teamwork, that culture, that, you know, productivity, that fun, that I feel the other side of
1: it just kind of sucks it into a void. It's bananas to me. The idea that somehow by getting on with your colleagues, by picking the brains of your colleagues, by somehow sharing discourse with your colleagues, somehow you're you're gifting something away, just seems to have such a fundamental misunderstanding of how people work. We get so much of our meaning in life from the interactions we have with others. and The idea that we would come in and sort of sit in a solitary experience for eight hours and then go home and somehow we've won is such a twisted version of of adult existence i truly am not misrepresenting them the quote about not speaking to people is a direct quote from charlie wazel uh he gave in an interview i i clipped it and i posted it on on my newsletter because i was so struck with what a a, a distorted perspective of it anyway to, i guess to take. My perspective aside from that, my view is always that the best times I've had at work, the moments where a, a working week has flown by, the, the moments where I felt a, a joy and a sense of being part of something with my colleagues, was when I had a really strong relationship with them. I'll be candid with you. you know when I used to go to work and laugh every day. And, and I think a lot of us have seen the amount of laughter that we've experienced in the last two years go down. But when I used to see laughter every day, I used to think, wow, you know, I'm so lucky to be able to be paid for, for this work that I'm doing. And so, you know, my feeling very strongly, especially in the times when I was working at Twitter and things went wrong, my feeling was if we can bring some levity, some laughter, some motivation, some enjoyment back to this, I'm sure we can fix most of these problems. So, It was that focus really on creating strong and strongly bound groups, even in difficult times. I have worked in tech companies, and people think tech companies are wonderful and easy place to work. There's often immensely challenging times and immensely difficult times. And what we found was that the fortitude we developed and the strength that we developed in those times generally came down to the sense of connection, the relationships between people the sense that we were all in something together so it's probably very easy to regard these things as trivial but for me they played a really strong part in building strong teams so obviously we're in this whole new world i've
0: talked to some you know top culture experts who you know excuse my language but he said culture is shit right now and it has to be rebuilt i've talked to one culture expert at the peak of pandemic you know when i was asking him what are you doing things to rebuild culture And he told me he wanted to share something super innovative that he had done where he had one of his clients had all of the employees force them to wear kind of knit golf shirts with the company's logo on Zoom calls as a way to rebuild the corporate culture. So where do we start? Like, What does culture mean today with this new work-life balance? And and how do we rebuild it?
1: Yeah, really big question. Certainly, I'm, I'm not strongly of the opinion that making people wear identical clothing form some <laughs> degree of, of culture personally. Culture is, you know, it's, it's so interesting to, to try to dissect it because culture in a workplace is like culture in our social lives, and our, our personal lives. It's, it's everything and it's nothing. It's the way that people behave around here, it's the attitudes and behaviors people have got. Ben Horowitz, who's a Silicon Valley venture capitalist, wrote a really good book on this, surprisingly good book on this. He said, culture is what happens when people aren't looking. And you know, actually that's a really good guide. The, Army, the US Army has got a sort of maxim that they have that says, if you see something that's low quality and you do nothing, you've just set a new standard. And to some extent, that's adjacent to his idea that culture is what happens when no one's looking. And the interesting thing about both of those things is that, well, look, we've just gone through a period in the last two years where a lot of our work was done when no one was looking. And so it begs a really important question. I f- I would suggest that you know a lot of us have worked incredibly hard when no one was looking in the last two years. So these, the, evidently, we've had strongly accountable cultures. I think the the critical thing is that generally, when culture is stressful, when culture is high pressured, when culture is anxious, generally, it's it's not consistent with highly creative cultures. You generally find that. Fear and creativity exist in opposition to each other, so if you've got an organization that needs to be adept at problem solving or clever at coming up with solutions, then probably finding a way to reduce some of the stress the anxiety in your organization is probably going to be quite helpful. But you know for me, culture is about the tone of an organization it's about the mood music of an organization, and trying to get those things well balanced does seem to have a strong payoff in terms of the, the experience of employees in organizations. So look, you know, I'm eternally fascinated with it, how organizations can try and shape an environment and an atmosphere that might be conducive to us doing our best work.
0: So, Bruce, like, where do companies start? You know, like if they've got to rebuild culture, do they well, the question after you is do they have to rebuild culture from scratch? Or can they start where they left off and, you know, where do they start and how do they not make
1: wrong turns? Yeah, I I think, you know, this is probably an incredibly pressing issue right now because we're seeing the the sense of the big resignation last year most definitely has continued into this year. I think some of the evidence we're seeing suggests that even the people who hadn't previously thought that they might quit their jobs, starting to debate whether their, their jobs are right for them. And I suspect most of us would say that experience of the last two years may well be that we've been more efficient we've been more focused we've got more done but very few of us would say the experience of the last two years is that we've had we've had more fun in our jobs and so or we've felt more connection with our colleagues and I think it's because work has become more individualistic that a lot of us have debated well should I change jobs I did Some work with one company. And they said to me, look, you know, the challenge they had is that when people came into the office every day, they felt that there was something special about this organization. And now they find that when people aren't coming into the office every day, their colleagues are saying, oh, I'm not sure there is something special in the same way we thought. And so as a consequence, we don't feel as connected to the organization. So I think it's a challenge for a few of us, you know, if we want to build something that is differentiated. Most, most companies, whether we're healthcare professionals, whether we're in the service industry, whether we're in the restaurant sector, whatever we're trying to provide, we're either trying to differentiate ourselves by the service we provide or the price that we, we charge for it, or something to do with our experience. We want to differentiate ourselves. One of the most sustainable and robust ways to differentiate your business is service making your customers happy making the people who come through your door feel like they've had a good experience and generally i think these these reasonable evidence to suggest that when your employees are happy it does transfer into a good customer experience so you know i would most certainly see these these things as a continuum the best example i could give you is that when most of us go into a restaurant we can often get a sense from the server who comes to deal with us, or from the interactions we have with the employees, we can get a sense whether this is a good place to work or a bad place to work. There does seem to be a continuum that suggests that people who are well-treated in their employment generally pay it forwards. And so I think, you know, for me, this is the, the fascination. If you want to create something that's differentiated for your customers, then thinking about how you can create a good experience for your employees seems to be part of the same continuum for me.
0: Let me ask you a question. So, you know, we have a strategic partner, Global Healthcare Accreditation, which is also the official sponsor of our podcast. And they launched, they've been around for a while, accrediting leading healthcare organizations around the world in the US, but they launched an accreditation to validate a company's prioritization of employee and customer health, safety, and well-being. Does... Health, you know, just just prioritizing employee health safety and well-being. Does that tie into culture or the experience or is that something totally separate?
1: Yeah, I think so. And what we're observing is that, you know, one of the things that has propelled this great resignation that we're seeing right now is that some employees feel that they've really been badly treated in the last two years. They feel like they've been taken for granted. Maybe their firm didn't necessarily pay due attention to the burnout levels they're experiencing. And so one of the things that has propelled this great resignation is people feeling, I want to enact revenge. Now I've got the opportunity to quit. I'm actually going to quit. I'm, I'm done with this place. Similarly, firms who've treated their employees well have have maybe considered the the balance that their employees have been experiencing are going to to reap some benefits from that. So it's it's never as straightforward, a thing as saying one leads to the other. These things are often more about the overall experience rather than specific actions. But I, I do feel that if someone is thinking, how can I build loyalty amongst my employees? How can I build a strong sense of customer service uh, amongst uh, my offering? How can I make sure that people who come in contact with my business talk about it positively? All of these things, seem to be related to the employee experience. And so I would say none of this is wasted effort. None of this is wasted attention. With companies
0: that are, you know, I I keep hearing that organizations really aren't prioritizing investments in culture or investments in health and well-being for their employees, more so from the difficult financial issues they've had over the past two years is, to me, it doesn't seem logical in that if you don't have employees that are happy to come to work to feel taken care of, they're going to be less productive and they're going to look for jobs. Why do you think companies aren't focusing their energy and saying, let's go invest significantly now in culture and health and well-being and safety, all these things you know so we become an employer of choice like a destination our people don't leave and inherently
1: we should become more profitable if everyone is happier i think a lot of it comes down to middle management so what you generally find is there's a disconnect between various parts i dealt with one organization that had this interesting practice that some leaders would have so they were a knowledge company they were they were an office company and they used to have something, which was they, uh, some of their leaders would, before the meeting started, they would say, let's have a mindful minute. Now, this was an organization where people were working in excess of 50 hours a week. There was relentless emails, there was emails all weekend. But the leaders would say, let's have a mindful minute, which was a minute of silence before some meeting started. Now, there's no science behind this, but effectively, it was a way for the organization to try to project this idea that they they cared about the, the mental health experience for their employees. And we hear, hear this a lot. We hear, you know, a lot of people, a lot of organizations saying your mental health matters, telling employees that lived experience of work is, is a big consideration for them. But then the working environment has back-to-back video calls or it has relentless demands upon them. And I think the interesting thing for all of us is just thinking how... Can we try to observe these things being consistent? How can we we try to observe firms operating in a consistent way? And Generally, what you discover is that maybe the tone of the organization has been set by up high, but then a middle manager might be nominally paying lip service to this idea that your mental health matters, but also they want you to join this 8 p.m. call and they want you to get back to that email on Saturday morning. And it's broadly an inconsistency between middle management and leadership. But I think the the you know the, the critical thing, good organisations are going to say, well, look, the thing that makes these things consistent is culture. The thing that makes these things consistent is that we've actually got some norms that are self-policing, that everyone in the organization feels like they're a custodian of. And so culture attempts to say that whether you're on table 10 or table 40, you should have the same experience. Whether you're a patient in this ward or this ward, you should have the same experience. It, it attempts to to normalize those things and create almost a self-policing environment where everyone feels like they're an ambassador of the culture.
0: Now, a key piece for you is joy, for employees who are looking at this great resignation and saying, you know, maybe I'm not finding joy, I don't feel appreciated, I should go look for another job, you know, that the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Like, can, like how can they rebuild or refine joy in their current job? Or if they really do need to leave their current position, you know, how do you find a position that you know you're going to really enjoy?
1: Yeah, I mean it's a really critical consideration. You know, I've certainly he- heard people propose that, you know, when you're starting a new job that you should ask people about the culture, you should ask people about what the worst aspects of the organization are. You should say, you know, what are the things that you would love to change about this place? Just trying to get people to some extent to to drop the guard. It's not a bad idea to have a notion about what the customer experience of an organization is like. Is it a good or bad experience for, for outsiders? Because that's often a reflection of what an organization's culture is like. So these things play a, a sort of strong part, I think, in us trying to understand what the the different experiences are. But, you know, it's, it's often immensely difficult to get a judgment of an organization's culture from the outside, for sure.
0: Any final words of wisdom for our audience of uh, anything we didn't touch on, but
1: that they should uh, really be thinking about? You know, I I spend a lot of time, I I do a newsletter on these things, trying to track the evidence for these things. There does seem to be a really strong basis of evidence that organizations that have a strong and self-policing and consistent culture seem to outperform those who don't. There's a wonderful piece of work really by a a woman called Zeynep Tan, who's a professor at Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and she studies the retail sector. And her philosophy is very strongly that organizations that have strong culture not only show greater top line revenue growth and and greater bottom line revenue growth but also outperform other organizations on the stock exchange and so her feeling is that having strong culture having a joyful experience for employees isn't this frivolous luxury that some organizations have the opportunity to do but rather is the best way to propel your business into a high growth situation so i think you know Actually, if we were able to gather more of that evidence, this wouldn't necessarily feel like a first world problem. I think sometimes organizations might say, look, you know, we'll deal with the culture when we've sorted out the, the profitability. You know, we're in a, a difficult business time at the moment. We'll deal with culture when that's essential. And actually, I think the, the lesson of Zayneptan and the lesson of, of anyone who sort of studies these things is these things actually have a strong upside for our business profitability, and we shouldn't necessarily regard them as just a project for next year. Well, thank you
0: so much for joining us. I,
1: I think now is
0: uh, you know the time where companies really need to think uh, very deeply, and I think as employees, I, you know, we really need to find mm-hmm. that joy in what we do. I feel like the last, I think the one thing if the pandemic
1: made me realize is to find joy where you can. I look forward to, uh, to seeing you in person next time I'm in Florida. Thank you so much.